This is Passport Two, People and Places, brought to you by Jules Verne, taking you around the world, sharing memories and introducing you to the people at the heart of everything we do. I'm Abby, and in this series, I'll be delving into past adventures, inside stories, future journeys, inspiring you to discover the wonders of the world. Hello listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Passport 2, People and Places, brought to you by Jules Verne. I am so excited to be here today talking to Penny from Robin Pope Safaris. Penny, thank you so much for joining us today. That's my absolute pleasure. I'm really excited. So do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe let us know a little bit about you and your relationship to travel? Okay. So my name's Penny. I work with Robin Pope Safaris, which is a company owning properties in Zambia, Malawi and Zimbabwe. Um, The tour that you have with Jules Verne involves Zambia and Malawi, so it's an interesting combination, quite a long tour, actually, Um, but visiting some of the most incredible places. Now, my job is a little bit niche. It's not one that everyone's heard of, um, including my parents, actually, which is uh, representing safari lodges to the UK industry. So, yeah, it's a bit weird. It's a great job, though. So we get to learn a lot about safari, a lot about the lodges and the experience, all from you who gets to travel and experience it more than probably anyone I know, Penny, I've got to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, we're very lucky that we do get to go out and visit these places. um, But it is work as well as, as play. So we've said that you get to travel and do a lot of these safaris and you work for an amazing company. We absolutely love Robin Paper, Jules Verne. But do you have sort of a favourite person or people that you've met on your travel? Is there someone that's really sort of stuck in your mind and your heart as someone who's the most memorable person you've met? So there is one of the guides at Robin Pope Safaris who's been there for over 20 years. Um, His name's Keala, but everyone calls him Kiki. That's his nickname. And the thing that always strikes me about him, yes, he's a phenomenal guide. His knowledge is outstanding, not just about the animals, also about the plant life, about the topography of the land, about the birds. You know, so his knowledge is phenomenal, but he has the most infectious laugh. And it's something I always come back with whenever I visit Zambia and visit Robin Pope Safari's properties there. I just just miss Kiki's laugh, you know, because it's just infectious. And when you're with these guides who not only have the knowledge of the animals, it's their understanding of people and how they get on with you. And they learn all the things that you've seen on safari, the things you saw yesterday, your real interests. So for me in particular, I have a bit of a a slightly strange obsession with the, the zebra species. So there are at least seven different subspecies of zebra, which you may or may not have known. Um, And within South Luangwa in Zambia, they do have a subspecies of zebra called the Crawshai. And that's just a very, this is going to sound ridiculous, that's a very stripy species of, subspecies of zebra. It is, yes. (laughs) Um, Because the stripes go all the way down to their their feet, they go right round their tummies, and the stripes are black, white, black, white. Whereas if you go to South Africa and other countries in that region, Um, you get zebras with a shadow stripe. So I often find myself in Zambia whooping with excitement at just how stripy the zebra are, which is a little bit crazy. And it's something, again, that little nugget of information that you wouldn't know without having the best (laughs) guide in the world to tell you that information. Yeah, they're also endemic to that national park. So uh, it's it's exciting for some people. There's also an endemic species of giraffe in South Luangwa. I didn't know that. 
So do you, can you remember your first memory of traveling? Like, where did you go? What did you do? Because like you said, your job is very niche. You work in a very niche market. Was your first travel experience niche or was it quite? No, very mainstream. I was going to Lanzarote back in the 1980s. Oh, wow. Uh, with my family. I was about four. And there are two things I really remember. One was the volcanoes, which was sort of vague memory. Um, another was a uh, a camel toy I was given, which I called Gracias in my perfect Spanish, um, which I just adored for, for decades, maybe one decade. So do you have a favourite memory from that trip? Was it being gifted this beautiful yeah, camel? Yeah, it was about the camel. And that sort of lasted with you? Yeah, because it was one of my favourite toys. Um, just loved this camel. And when I first met a camel in real life, which I think must have been in Morocco um, when I was working out there, just the feeling of meeting the animal that had been my favourite toy was uh, was quite special. Like an instant connection and an instant love between yourself and the animal? No, not in any way. Um, it should have been. That's what I dreamt. But the camels were really unimpressed and uninterested and uh, quite rude to us. So, you know. <laughs> Do you think that first journey to Lanzarote conjured something up inside you to to travel for the rest of your life and, and work and travel? Do you think that was the moment or was there another moment you remember when you were young where you think, oh, I, I could do more of this, I could do this forever? So I've always loved to travel. I come from a sailing family and traveling has been something my family have always done. But for me, I think I really got the bug when I was at university and was sitting down with some friends saying, what are we going to do on this lovely university holiday? And this was back in the day where you were given grants as well. So we had time and some money, happy times. And uh, we just looked at a map and went, well, let's go to Zambia. Sounds exciting. Um, and literally just plucked it out of the air because we wanted to go whitewater rafting on the Zambezi. And that was when, so that was the first ever time I went into South Luangwa. And I saw my first, so I went to my first safari, which was a night drive, and happened to see a leopard kill in my first ever safari. That's very rare. Which is incredibly rare and has caused a lot of distress with guides I've worked with since, um, who have been extremely jealous that in 30 years of guiding they've never seen a leopard kill. Yet this girl from the UK saw a leopard kill in her first ever safari. After just picking the country off a map. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but I remember being quite nervous about Zambia because our South African friends had been, well, friends of my parents, had been very nervous about us travelling out there in our early 20s um, to these destinations we didn't really know that much about. Um, but we found the local people to be so friendly and kind and we felt pretty safe as well. Um, it really wasn't the big scary Africa I had in my mind. Um, and I think from then on, I really fell in love with sub-Saharan Africa and pretty much have been back every year since, apart from the occasional pandemic. Yeah, well, we'll skip over that one. Mm, yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there was a, definitely a love of South Luangwa National Park that started right back then. Gosh, and that really has threaded through into everything you do now. You have young children, you've taken them to on safari experiences as well, haven't you? Yeah, so my last holiday was actually out to Malawi to visit the three Robin Pope safaris that feature in your tour. And um, I wanted to go out and see them because I hadn't been there since pre-COVID and realised that was a long time. I needed to refresh my information. I hadn't actually visited Katenga camp at all because that hadn't been built when I was having babies. Um, 
Anyway, so I took the family out there. So husband and the children aged three and five at the time. So teeny tiny. Um, but actually, it went remarkably well. The children completely fell in love with Malawi, particularly Lake Malawi, actually. We had some problems leaving. Arriving was great. Leaving, they both cried. Um, they didn't want to leave Pumalani, the lodge, which has two swimming pools and a lake to swim in. Yeah. So for two small boys, that is just the best thing they'd ever seen in their lives. Um, they would have spent days sitting on the beach just playing with all the rocks and the shells and looking at the crabs and the fish. That on its own was an absolute joy. But if you add into that baboons in the trees looking for mangoes, we visited the village to meet some local people. And that was just hilarious, seeing my three-year-old just going up to another three-year-old, poking him in the stomach. And the other three-year-old poked him back in the stomach. We're like, right, okay, good. We've done some diplomatic relations here. Should we go now? Uh, it was just very sweet, you know, because kids have, have no nerves or concerns about visiting people from different cultures. They're just people. And it's really sweet. Um, but yeah, so Pumalani was an absolute love for the kids. And then we took them on their first ever safari. How did that go? Because a lot of people don't necessarily think that you can do safaris with younger children. And you can do safaris where you're not just in a group, you can do them privately. And so how did that go with, with your little ones? Well, they were pretty good, actually. Um, the thing is, on safari, you're not just looking at the big animals. So I sort of assumed that when the children saw their first elephant in the wild, for example, they'd be massively excited. Um, but on their first ever safari, we did see an elephant with a baby. We did see a pride of seven lion, including two teeny tiny fluffy three-month-old cubs. You know, amazing safari experience. The best safari experience. Absolutely phenomenal. My children rushed back into camp to the Robin Pope Safaris team. Um, they bonded with the team extremely quickly. Anyone in, a, in an RPS shirt um, they were friends with. And um, they rushed back in and said, Guess what we saw? We saw 10 squirrels. And uh, that was really the highlight of their safari. Um, they were very interested in the fact that you have tree squirrels and ground squirrels out in Malawi and ground squirrels shade themselves with their tails to keep the sun off, whereas tree squirrels stick their little tails up in the air when they're running. That was all of great interest. And when we mentioned the lions and the elephant, the kids were a bit meh, well, you know, they were nice. Anyway, squirrels! Which is very sweet. And children do see things in very different eyes, don't they? But they do add another sort of layer of to the holiday of, of things that you experience. Absolutely, because as grown-ups, we do tend to focus on things that we consider to be a safari experience, in inverted commas. Um, whereas the kids would pick out things like a lizard with a bright blue head. Mummy, why does that lizard have a bright blue head? Like, um, I don't know, I'll ask the guide. Um, and the guides obviously know all the answers to these questions, um, which is amazing. Um, and we saw a, um, a giraffe fight. That was pretty special because you don't see giraffe fight very often. And it's quite an experience because they really go at each other with their horns. It makes quite a noise. And fighting is obviously something small boys can relate to. Um, and they were fascinated, absolutely fascinated. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting experience. Um, I think... For me, the most exciting moment on that entire holiday was when we did have a lion kill just outside our tent. This is at Katengo camp. So the camp is only four tents, so it's a little camp. and has this amazing floodplain in front, um, which was full of game. And um, the kids were all tucked up in bed by seven. And then at one o'clock in the morning, we heard this lion roaring. It was the same male we'd seen earlier on in the day. And he was so loud. It wasn't just a call, it was a proper roar. Um, it sounded like he was in our bed. 
Of course, the children slept through the whole thing. Um, and the highlight of the lion kill, actually, was at four in the morning when the dawn came up. We saw the whole family just walking straight past our tent. It was absolutely magical. Gosh, what an amazing experience. Yeah, really, really quite something. And to be able to share that with the family is brilliant. It's just, it's an incredible opportunity. And also to, to excite your children at this young age to have that travel bug that will, I'm sure, in 20 years will still be within them and they'll be having their own amazing experiences around the world as well. Yeah, and it's great how they bring these things home. So one of the questions that Benji, actually my, my youngest, age three, he asked the guide was, how do porcupines take baths? Interesting question. I didn't know the answer. No, I don't. Um, and Ennison, the guide, this was down at Makulamadzi um, in the so southern part of Malawi. Um, he told Benji that porcupines take sand baths. Benji found this fascinating. And when we got back to nursery, back at school, um, he told his nursery teachers all about these porcupines and their sand baths. They then followed up on that, checked out what hedgehogs do. It turns out hedgehogs do the same thing. Oh, wow. So we had the whole nursery talking about hedgehogs and porcupines and how they take baths, um, which, you know, to, to me was something really special that my interest in safari is now going on into, into my kids. Yeah, and their friends as well. Yeah. So how do you plan your travel experiences? Do you do a lot of research before or do you go there, sort of pick a destination on a map and, and sort of sit back and relax and let the guides tell you the best thing to do? And how do you plan your trips to make sure they're just amazing? Well, once upon a time when I was a backpacker, I really enjoyed the freedom of just buying a plane ticket, buying a Lonely Planet book and going. But I'm a grown up now, so I have a husband and children to look after. So I can't just go wherever I want to, whenever I want to. I need to make sure there is accommodation. Um, so these days, at the moment, I'm traveling with work to try and just see the things I've missed during COVID. The next plan actually would be to take the kids to Zambia. Um, and in fact, I managed to take my husband to Zambia and Malawi just after we got married um, for a little holiday, which definitely wasn't a honeymoon. It was a work trip. Um, we worked very hard. Um, but, you know, out there seeing his, his reaction to Lake Malawi, for example, absolutely fascinating because I'd been there a few times by the time my husband got there. And um, the husband is saying, well, what is this place? So I said, well, actually, this lake is enormous. It's a massive inland sea. It's fresh water. The distance of the bottom to the top of Lake Malawi is pretty much the same as North London to Edinburgh. It's huge. You fly over this lake, you don't see the sides. And that was something I was starting to take for granted. Whereas when you travel with people who haven't been to these places, suddenly it opens your eyes. I think as well with Lake Malawi, people don't realise, like you said, how vast it is, but also how many things there are to do on and around the lake. It really is an, a, a draw in itself. Yeah, I mean, as I said, my kids would happily have spent a whole week just at Lake Malawi. Um, but as grown-ups, there's plenty to do. Um, we managed to fit in a bit of kayaking, some paddleboarding, a cruise out on the boat to do some snorkelling, um, see the cichlid fish. They're an endemic species of fish. Actually, if you're interested in this sort of thing, uh, the cichlids are a bit like Darwin's finches in the fact that you can you can track evolution through the different fish in the different lakes um, of or the African lakes, um, how they've developed in different areas. But yeah, so the fish, to most people, they're just beautiful, pretty aquarium fish. Um, what else can you do there? We actually went on a nice walk. Um, didn't take the kids on that trek, actually. It's quite a big trek. Um, but that's quite a nice thing to do. 
um, or just chilling out on the beach and relaxing, watching the pied kingfishers just diving into the water in front of us by the swimming pool. It was just a fascinating place to visit. So do you think that travel has sort of changed you as a person? Do you think there's anything that maybe you didn't think of before or how has it sort of affected your life? Yes, you work in travel, but also your family and your friends you know, are very involved in travel as well. But is there something that you sit there and think, oh, that that really has changed me? Oh, that's a tricky question. Um, I've always enjoyed traveling, but I think these days something that has really crept up on me is my interest in conservation. Now, in theory, as a youngster, I was interested in conservation, but never actively did anything about that. Whereas one of the things I really enjoy about working with Robin Pope Safaris is the amount that the company itself puts into conservation and what Robin Pope Safaris and various other companies, for example, African Parks, is achieving in countries like Malawi in particular. Um, now, one of the fascinating things about Malawi is most of the game was completely hunted out back in the 60s and 70s. Um, and African Parks had a huge impetus to start putting animals back into these parks and recreating wildlife reserves. And this has been phenomenally successful and it makes me genuinely excited to be part of that. So to, just to give you an example, we moved elephants around Malawi. So it was called the, uh, the 500 Elephant Project where they moved 150 elephants from Majeti Reserve and they moved them 600 kilometers all the way up to Nkota Kota. Now, if you imagine moving one elephant, now, you're not just putting a, a little stream of jelly beans on the road. This is darting, lifting, and then moving by truck, an enormous animal. They did that with hundreds of elephants. Um, so they moved 336 from Liwondi, they moved them up to Nkotokota, um, and as I said, the 150 from Majeti. So phenomenal things they're achieving. So um, Nkotokota Reserve now has plenty of elephant families, which is fantastic. So when African parks went into Malawi, they hadn't had any tourists for three years, and they started reintroducing animals from 2003 when African Parks um, took over management there. Um, and pretty much everything except a few antelope had been hunted out, including all the elephant population. Um, so they started reintroducing species. And between 2003, when they introduced black rhino, 2006, the elephants went in, 2012, lion, 2018, giraffe, more lion, 2019, cheetah, leopard, black sable, buffalo. Um, in fact, 5,000 animals from 17 different species were moved into Majeti. Wow. And that's just an extraordinary achievement. And these animals have gone on to breed, they've settled, and now when you go there on safari, Majeti and Liwondi in Malawi are now proper safari reserves. We have the big five in Majeti. We're actually looking at how we've put together the Jules Verne tour um, and talking about the different species we see up in Zambia and in Malawi. And Malawi is very much coming into its own as a safari destination. Um, actually, the owners of Robin Pope Safaris went out there recently with their family and they saw cheetah, lion, black rhino, elephant, all sorts of these big species, as well as the, all these different antelope species and all the other things you see. I mean, one of my favourite moments in Majeti was sitting in the swimming pool because it was quite hot. 
and just playing croc or rock. Is that a crocodile? Is that a rock? Not in the swimming pool, obviously, in the river nearby. Um, so very safe distance. But um, I could play that for hours. I think this is a new game we should introduce. <laughs> I love that. Croc or rock. So what are your future travel plans? Apart from, as you said, you're looking at going back to Zambia. Where's next? Where are you heading to? What are you up to? I know I'm being very Africa specific because um, one one day I'd love to take my children out to China, um, maybe Australia one day. Um, but I think probably nearer the horizon would be a trip to Zambia because I'd love the boys to go back on safari. They did love safari. Um, they might see more squirrels, for example. Um, but one of the properties in, in South Luang where we have is um, accepts children from all ages. Now, that's obviously not a property that you visit on, on the Jules Verne tour, um, but we could take our little ones out on safari again. And as long as they get plenty of time um, in a swimming pool and they get plenty of time seeing different animals, um, they're generally quite happy. Um, so I'd love to go back to Zambia with the kids. I love that. So apart from the children and your husband... Who would be your ideal travel companion? This can be past, present, future, celebrity, non-celebrity. Who do you think would be the person you go, I'd love to travel with them? Well, if I'm being highbrow, obviously Shakespeare, because just Shakespeare. But realistically, probably Chris Hemsworth, because he's pretty. <laughs> A lovely view <laughs> in both ways. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea if Mr Hemsworth has been on safari. Um, but I'm sure he'd enjoy it. And um, he's just really pretty. Be lovely. I love that. <laughs> so it seems like you have quite a few destinations that are on your bucket list. But it, it seems that Zambia is the one that's sort of calling you back the most. Yeah, Zambia and Malawi. Um, also Zimbabwe. But yeah, you do say Zambia. That was my first ever safari. And actually, the necklace I'm wearing today is from Zambia. Um, there's a company called Mulberry Mongoose which creates beautiful jewellery out of um, snare wire. So they take these traps and snares laid for animals within the park and by poachers. These are all cleared as often as possible by our guides and, and by the conservation teams out there. And actually, they're doing a brilliant job. Poaching has been really reduced over the years. Um, but we, they do have plenty of snare wire and they've made them into this st spectacular pieces of jewellery. And it means a lot to me to be able to spend money buying presents for friends or occasionally for myself. Um, and knowing that money is not just giving me pretty jewellery, but also going into conservation. And, I and think, going back to the community as well. Yeah, exactly. That is all important. And I do feel that being able to give something back, oh, God, that's a terrible cliche, isn't it? But actually giving something back while I'm buying something for myself um, does give me a little warm glow of happiness. Um, and I think that's something that has developed over the years that these days I do want to be doing more for conservation. I do myself, not just the company I work with um, and, and actually helping local people to create these nature reserves that we can all go and visit and, and enjoy in the years to come. It's all about protecting and preserving the people and places that we're visiting. Yeah, absolutely. People and places are just as important as the wildlife. Okay, so last question, and I ask everybody this on the podcast, and I'm wondering if I can guess, but are you, I'm sure you'll surprise me. Uh, but where in the world has captured your heart the most and why that place? Ooh, captured my heart. It's a tricky one, isn't it? I do have an affinity with China because um, I went out there when I was quite young and I love the language and the food and the people, but I haven't been back for a while. Um... I could say Zimbabwe, where the people were just so warm and friendly. 
Well, you know Zimbabwe always captures my heart as it's... You're where... from Zim, aren't you? Yeah. That's right. Um, and that's another country which, you know, sort of dipped out of favour, obviously, for tourists um, when the government um, was causing problems there. Um, but uh, again, amazing safari destination and just the most incredible people. And working with Zimbabwe has always given me a real glow of happiness again because you're just working with such delightful people. And a lot is going on in Zimbabwe to protect the national parks and um, to make sure that conservation is at the forefront of what companies are doing. And um, there is a real feeling that Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi, these countries are all looking to the future, um, starting to train up the children of their guides into either being guides themselves or being the doctors of the future. Um, yeah, actually mentioning conservation, that was another thing. Um, just how the local people have been helped. Um, so when African Parks went into Malawi, they managed to give 113 secondary school children um, education, not just schools, but also university scholarships. So, yeah, that's something that just really makes me happy that there are companies out there doing these really positive things that are creating the doctors, the lawyers, the educated people of the future in these countries that so desperately need them. Amazing. So do you, would you say then the place that's captured your heart the most? Yeah, it's got to be sub-Saharan Africa at least. That's, what that's I was a very, say. very broad area. But yeah, let's go with Zambia, Zimbabwe, Malawi. Perfect. Penny, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's one of my favourite places to talk about and we could talk about it much more and I'm sure we'll talk about it again but thank you so much for today absolute pleasure thank you for having me in we hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of Passport 2 people and places look out for our next episode where we'll be talking to more guests about the people and places that have inspired them the most we'd love to hear your feedback so please do get in touch thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>